Hello and welcome to Circling the Bases, proudly presented by Roto World and NBC Sports. My name is DJ Short, and with me here once again is Eric Samolski. We're live on Twitch right now, so welcome to our audience there. If you're listening in podcast form uh, or watching later on YouTube, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, less than 24 hours after the Diamondbacks defeated the Phillies in Game 7 of the NLCS to advance to the World Series. Uh, with that in mind, this is our World Series preview episode of the show. Of course, the series gets underway this Friday, Diamondbacks Rangers Game 1 in Arlington. So Eric, I'll bring you in here. How are you feeling? about this series is it representative of a flawed playoff format or should everyone just relax and try to enjoy some baseball i mean what an abomination that an 84 <laughs> team win or 84 win team is has made it this far um that 88 win team really really should have made it over there <laughs> um yeah listen uh i'm sorry i i get it you know, I was talking to my, my father a little bit about this earlier today, and my dad, you know, is a baseball fan but doesn't follow obviously as closely as we do. And he was saying that he feels like the ratings for this World Series will be low. Hmm. Um, and on some level, I understand that, right? You don't have Philly, you don't have Atlanta, you don't have New York, you don't have Los Angeles, you don't have, you know, Houston. And I understand that Houston is in the same state as Texas. But if you live in Texas or have spent any time in Texas, it's pretty clear which team has the larger following. Yeah. Um, so I get that from like a ratings perspective, big cities tend to you know help. But I don't think that we're seeing two bad teams. I don't think that the ratings are going to be indicative of the quality of the games that we're going to see. We just saw two really great championship series. I think we're going to see two really great uh, or just sorry, a really great World Series. Um, and so I, I just I'm over this argument about the format, like g give it a rest. First of all, the Rangers had the same amount of wins as the Astros. So it doesn't matter who yeah. won that series. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yes, the Diamondbacks had 84 wins, but they're a solid team. And like, look, both of these teams were aggressive at the trade deadline. And I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about that. So like, yeah, the whole season matters. Sure. But so does saying, hey, I'm in contention and I'm going to go for it. And both yeah. these teams did that. So it, so you could argue what you want about the playoff format. But how about arguing that this incentivizes teams that are on the cusp of the playoffs to load up at the trade deadline and try to make a run? Because that's what these teams did. And, and they're bearing the fruits of that right now. Right. And, you know, the Diamondbacks solved the major weakness with their bullpen. They added Tommy Pham to the outfield. So... Yes, you know, regular season matters, like you said, you know, 84 wins is 84 wins, but uh, we also have to take into account that teams improve over the course of the season. Sure. Uh, the Rangers called up Evan Carter late in the year, like uh, things change uh, with with rosters. So it isn't just, you know, what they won in April or, or May, you know. Uh, yes. So I, th I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, y yes, you you mentioned, you know, the, the bullpen, um, like... Paul Sewald is great. Um, he's been pitching great. Uh, you know, the the Diamondbacks bullpen has a 294 ERA in 49 innings in this postseason. Awesome. Um, you know, and that's with a 292 Babbitt, by the way, which I'm looking at, which is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> but like they're they're pitching well, right? Um, you know, there are guys like I will admit to everybody, like we joked about this when I was watching the first round, like when 
Andrew Salfrank came on to pitch against Sal Frelick, and I made a joke about their names being familiar. Like, I had never heard of Andrew Salfrank before. But, like, Kevin Ginkle has, you know, changed his breaking ball and looks great, and Sewell is great, and Miguel Castro, you know, has been a solid pitcher for them for a while. And, like, you know, Joe Mantiplay and, and you know, they're, they're Ryan guys. Thompson, they got yeah. off the scrap yeah. heap. Ryan Thompson, they got off the scrap heap from the Rays, who, like, you know, I remember specking on Ryan Thompson saves at one point a few years ago in Tampa because he was a late inning reliever for them. Like, you know, they, they pieced things together in a way that was that shored up a weakness. And listen, I, I was the biggest like, you know, poo pooer of Brandon fought during the, the season because he came up and, yeah, the fa- and the fastball was really poor. And we saw all this hype of him and like nothing really lived up to that. And again, He's a young player who adjusted as the year went on and stopped being so four-seam heavy and changed the way he was attacking hitter, uh, hitters, and he's been solid in the postseason. Yeah. And so, like, teams evolve, and I, I just think, like, hammering so much on the win total just really misses the plot of everything else that's going on in the field. Yeah, I think it also should give hope to fans across baseball, any city, that, you know, two years ago, these were teams that lost 100 games, and you know, here they are now. Like, that's how quick your fortunes can change in an expanded kind of playoff universe. Uh, the Diamondbacks haven't been in a World Series since 2001 uh, when they defeated the Yankees in seven games. The Rangers have never won a World Series. It's been over 10 years since they've been in the World Series. So it's kind of cool for these fan bases to get to the big stage. Yeah. And, and, I just, I just also think the win total argument gets away from the quality of the players on the field, right? Like Corbin yeah. Carroll is one of the best young players in baseball. People should be excited that we get to see him on this stage. For yep. how many years have we talked about? It sucks that Mike Trout has never played playoff baseball, and I'm not saying yeah. Corbin Carroll is Mike Trout. Mike Trout was the best player in baseball for a long time, but it's not like he's that far off. He's one of the best young players. He'll be the face of baseball or one of the faces of baseball for over a decade, barring, you know, him remaining healthy. Um, he's really exciting to watch. Now yes. people get to do that. Like Cattell Marte is very good. He's been very good for a while. Like people don't really pay attention to him because he's in Arizona and he was on the West coast before like, you know, Gabriel Moreno, Alec Thomas, like these are solid young players um, who now get to play in a in a in the bright lights, and we've obviously talked about the Rangers guys, and you know that series I think had way more attention because of the kind of hostility between the Rangers and the Astros. But like Evan Carter's really good, Adelise Garcia, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, like the it's not like, superstars here. Not like there are really great the World Series, you know, Zach Allen is a Cy Young Award contender in the National League. I mean. I think another interesting storyline is Evan Longoria. Like he made the World Series in his first season in 2008. Hasn't been back since. This might be his last year too. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of that full circle stuff going on with him. We have Bruce Bochy back in a World Series. There's like there's no shortage of storylines when you get down to it of this series. Sure. I think these are two teams that are pretty evenly matched. We'll we'll go through it here uh, in a minute, but. I think this has a chance to be a compelling World Series, even if the ratings aren't going to be what maybe Major League Baseball would have hoped going right. into it. But also, we need to stop because like ratings are not the same as they were 10 years ago or 20 years yeah. ago. We are in a totally different world at this point. Yeah, and I and I think like 
shout out to both of these teams for being aggressive with call-ups for younger players, and hopefully yeah. that works. I mean, we saw, you know, the Diamondbacks, it was earlier in the year with with Carroll and Fought, and, you know, Fought's been up and down, and Alec Thomas. The Rangers, it's late in the year with um, Evan Carter. But, like, these are teams that, like, saw opportunities for young players to get chances and promoted them. And, you know, we saw the Orioles do the same thing and win 100 games and make the postseason. And and that's great. And, like, I also, before we break down, like, would be remiss we're talking about the stars to not mention that, like, Christian Walker is one of the more underrated hitters in, in baseball, in my opinion. I mean, it's back-to-back seasons where he's basically hit around 250 with 30-plus home runs and 100 RBIs. Um, like, he's pretty good. And, yeah. I, you know, like... I think he needs to get more respect and hopefully the world series will help him get that. Yeah. He's been a little cold so far, but that could certainly change, especially with the kind of power that he has. Uh, so we'll look at this series in a second before we do basketball season is here, but there's still time to squeeze in your fantasy drafts, get the road world basketball draft guide, which includes all the rankings, player outlooks and projections you need to win your league. Go to NBCSports.com to get your draft guide now. And also, uh, use preseason 25, our special code, uh, to get 25% off and receive a $10 Fanatics e gift card. Basketball season underway. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, our Roto World crew is doing a great job. Uh, they did a great job with this draft guide. And go to rotoworld.com, follow their work all season. They do great, great work. Let's take a look at these two teams. Like I said, Game one, Friday in Arlington, the Rangers won 90 games during the regular season and thus received home field advantage over the Cinderella Diamondbacks who won 84 games. So first two games at home for the Rangers, but that hasn't seemed to matter a ton so far during this right, postseason. Sure. It's been, uh, been so weird. So it's hard for me to say it's, it's an, I mean, it is an advantage. You'd rather play these games at home. Um, but I'm not sure it's the advantage we all think it is based off of what's happened in this crazy postseason. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we talked about the Phillies having like a really great home field advantage, um, and and that's true. And obviously, it didn't matter in, in the end in some of those like really important games. Um, I don't think you're going to see either team pack that kind of, you know, momentum shifting like noise and environment in a home environment. But again, strategic things with just you know, in addition to the home crowd, you know, strategic things with where you're hitting in the lineup when you're hitting, you know, what you're able to do when you have the that last licks at the end. But I, I think it's like a little bit of um, a non-issue in terms of anything other than just like maybe more games in certain parks, like whether they're pitching parks or hitting parks, things like that. Yeah, and these will all be games that might, this might be all indoor World Series yeah. uh, too. I'm trying to think of last time maybe that has happened. Was it the 2020 season, like pandemic season, I guess? Oh, they um, might have done that, yeah. Yeah, because it was all in Texas, too. But mm. um, So the weather not really going to be a factor in this. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see. Uh, nothing has been confirmed as far as like, who's starting what games just yet. I would assume Zach Gallen is starting game one because he wasn't used in relief in game seven. Um, he would be pitching in a full five days rest. Uh, for the Rangers, Jordan Montgomery probably is the game one starter. Uh, he did pitch two and a third innings in game seven, um, which was Monday. So I don't know. That that could be a tough call. I'm not sure if it would, if it would definitely be him. But that's kind of the, the probable matchup that we see uh, so far. I would give the advantage to the Diamondbacks for game one first. 
Yeah, possibly, but like, I mean, Jordan Montgomery's been so good. Like, and Gallon has not been great this this postseason. And yeah, I think I think that um, obviously there's nothing. I mean, I think Zach Gallon in a vacuum, I would take over or Jordan Montgomery. I would side with that, you know, with his side. But a two sixteen ERA in twenty five innings in this postseason for Jordan Montgomery, and no, he's he's not missing bats. That comes with a fifteen point six percent strikeout rate, which is (laughs) super low. Um, But you know he is keeping guys off base. He's doing really well. Like, you know, there's a lot uh, of articles written out there about the way that Texas kind of like reshaped his breaking balls um, and how it created deception. Um, Also having a lefty with a good pickoff move on the mound is important because the diamondbacks um, have 16 steals in the postseason. Uh, They run a lot. Um, And so being able to control the running game a little bit, I do think is, is hugely important for, the Rangers, because if the Diamondbacks get on, they're looking to take second and sometimes even third. Right. So the rest of these rotations, as, as we kind of go through these, Merrill Kelly uh, with the Diamondbacks, Brandon Fought, as we said, is, it, you know, looks like a different pitcher at this point. Uh, game four starter, who knows? Like, it might be a bullpen game. That's kind of sure. how things went in the in the NLCS as well. Uh, Rangers, you have Montgomery, Evaldi, uh, who, you know, proven postseason performer. Uh, Rangers got to feel good about him. Max Scherzer, what do the Rangers get out of Max Scherzer? Because he didn't look good in the in the ALCS. Uh, I think he's the huge wild card in the series, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that he's not pitching at 100%. Um, I don't know if, like, he'll out and say that. Um, but he, he, is, he came back specifically for this. We didn't expect him to pitch again um, in the postseason. Uh, in his last start... In Houston, you know, he is his velocity is there on the fastball. He was averaging 94 um, on the season. He was averaging 93.7. So that's one kind of like tick in the boxes. Um, he's not really getting swinging strikes. I mean, a 23% whiff rate in that last outing and 23% CSW is like eh, fine. Um, a lot of that was coming off the curveball. Um, so, like, the velocity being there makes me think that, you know, we might slowly be getting back to not vintage Scherzer, but maybe like first half of this year Scherzer, which is a guy with diminished velocity who is learning how to pitch with a complete arsenal of pitches now that he can't blow people away with a fastball. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. You get like middle of a middle of the rotation version of Scherzer, which is kind of really all they need. They need a competent third starter right now. Um, and I think that maybe by the time the, his his next start rolls around, you get competent third starter stuff from Scherzer. So I would give a slight edge to the Diamondbacks rotation. Um, I feel a little bit better about them going into this series. But lineups wise, I think they're both good lineups. But I think this is where the Rangers really come to the forefront here. I think yes. they're a deeper and more well-balanced lineup. Um I'm I'm assuming you feel similarly, but yeah, I, I, the Rangers' offense scares me. Uh, the Diamondbacks, not so much. Yeah, I think you know the Diamondbacks are an offense that um, that gets by on. We talked about speed, speed, aggressive base running, and just being um, a strong contact team. Even beyond that, like you know, they're striking out more than Texas in the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. Texas is an in OPS team. You know, if you look at just the postseason alone, Texas is 
first with an 825 OPS. Um, though Arizona, you know, was fifth, 741 so far. Uh, I mean, Texas is through the whole season, like ISO through the roof, batting average, you know, top 10, weighted runs created plus top 10, OPS top 10. Like, there's a lot of talent there. They're the team that's more likely to put up huge numbers, and the Diamondbacks are the team that's more likely to scratch something across with, you know, solid contact, hit and runs, steals, you know, timely hitting, that sort of thing. Um, so if the Rangers put up these like double digit totals like they did in some of these recent games, I just don't think the Diamondbacks have the firepower to keep up with that. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, we talked about the offseason moves in Arizona, uh, or not the offseason, sorry, the trade deadline moves in Arizona really shoring up the bullpen so that if they need to, they can, you know, go, they can lean on that bullpen to try and keep Texas to four, five runs, um, which I think right. is a little bit more manageable for this Arizona offense. Yeah. I think one thing to watch with uh, the Rangers lineup is the status of Mitch Garber. He was hit in the ribs by a pitch by Brian Abreu. I think they ruled out a fracture already, but that can be tricky with, with ribs. So we'll have to watch his status. I wouldn't anticipate he would miss the series, but right. um, if, will he be in the lineup for game one? I think that's something we're going to have to wait and see. This guy gets hurt so much and like not, not hurt in a way you were like, oh, Mitch Garver pulled his hamstring again. Like the most random and horrible sure. stuff happens to Mitch Garver. Um, yep. And it is, I just like, I feel for him. Um, I would like him to be healthy and playing uh, just because. He's had like, a great year. Yeah, he's had a great year. I mean, the, the fact that he can catch enough to like, we're switching into fantasy for a little bit, but the fact that he catches enough to have catcher eligibility, but is basically their Love DH um, yeah. is, is tremendous. And he's been, you know, a really great, hitter for them in the middle of the lineup you know he's been hitting fifth for a lot of the of the postseason um yeah i mean i don't i mean i don't know that there's an easy out in that lineup other than i guess potentially leody Tavares. right he struggled um, a little bit this postseason. but he's hitting 244 in the postseason so you know yeah. whatever league league average and you know he provides defense and steals he's got four four steals so far in the postseason Cattell Marte has hit safely in every game so far this postseason. He was yes. the NLCS MVP. He's been a very good play, kind of up and down a little bit through his career, but he's also been a, a very good player at times. So I think him getting the, the stage here um, and some national attention, uh, probably a little bit overdue. And, and same for Adolis Garcia. Like, we love Randy Rosarena, uh, but guess what? Adolis Garcia also is an ex St. Louis Cardinal. Just going to put that out there. This there's so many. Uh, there's also so <laughs> many X. There's also so many X Mets in this in this series. Oh, okay. really? Really? Yeah. I hadn't noticed that. Hadn't. Noticed it, at all. <laughs> it, had, it had totally escaped you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's a that's a good uh, that's a good segue to the bullpens here. Now, now Arizona, like we said, like we've given them a lot of credit for uh, the additions they made. Uh, Paul Seawald, X Met, uh, Ryan Thompson, um, getting him for free, basically. Um, Joe Joe Manaplies there, Kevin Ginkle, like we saw how good he looked uh, in Game Seven. I think the Diamondbacks bullpen is is deep, and there's like a lot of guys that are pitching well, and you can feel good about putting out there. The Rangers bullpen is just a little different. The, yeah. the circle of trust is smaller. Uh, there's Josh Spores, Aroldis Chapman, Jose Leclerc. Beyond that, there's a lot of like starters and the bullpen type stuff. John Gray, Andrew Heaney, uh, Dane Dunning, guys like that. I I'm a little little shakier about the the Rangers bullpen. Yeah, I think it's wild to me that you also 
and correct you did this correctly, but you didn't mention Will Smith for the Rangers, who oh, was that like guy. The yeah. closer for seventy five percent of the season, yeah. and the wheels have kind of fallen off. He yeah. has two innings pitched um, and has allowed two runs in the postseason. So again, super small sample size, but it's clear that they're losing trust in him. Um, you know, uh, I will say right now the only team that has a worse K per nine than the Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen is the Texas Rangers bullpen. Um, and actually the Phillies slightly, but they're, you know, the, they don't exist in this conversation. The Rangers bullpen has an 18.2% strikeout rate and a 12.3% walk rate. Um, in case people are wondering, that is a 5.9% strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, that is not good. They have a 1.3 whip as a bullpen. Um, that's leading to a 372 ERA with a 511 Sierra. Um, the Diamondbacks have just been better really across the board um, in that bullpen. Uh, and, you know, you, ha- you have to wonder. I mean, I know, I guess Chapman is, Chapman has been good. I was, I was saying you have to wonder what, you know, Cole Raggins would look like in this Rangers rotation in the, in the postseason. But Chapman really has been their best and only really reliable reliever in the bullpen um in the postseason i guess leclerc you know he had some pretty big blow-ups um and a 435 era in the postseason isn't great but he's had some good outings as well uh if this is close to the end of the game i think you just have to give the advantage to arizona yeah i was gonna say if these are low scoring games i think the diamondbacks win this series if these are high scoring games the Rangers are going to win this series. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think that's the way it goes. It it is very much a stylistic matchup, which you don't really see a lot in baseball. But like, it's very common in like football or basketball, where you're like, if this game is slow and low scoring, it favors you know, I don't know the Bucks. And if it's fast paced and there's a lot of points, the Chiefs are gonna are likely to be favored. Right? We're we're kind of seeing that here. It's like if this is a, a strong offensive series. Um, you know, if the bats come alive in, you know, indoors in a control temperature controlled environment, et cetera, then I, I just find it hard to believe that Arizona can score with, with Texas. Um, and that's a lot to ask of, you know, Arizona beyond Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. Like we talked about fought looking better, but that's a big spot for a rookie. Yeah. And I know Evan Carter's on the other side, but he gets four bats a game. And some of them are pressure situations and some of them aren't like taking the ball as a starter is a huge, huge difference in terms of pressure. And we saw that like get to Grayson Rodriguez in the AL, yep. right? He was great in the, in the second half of the year and did not have a good first start because it's, it's tough. Right. Right. So let's make our picks. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, in a couple of minutes about our early 2024 fantasy uh, mock draft uh, with our fellow Roto World writers and some of our friends across the industry. But let's make our predictions. I will I will start, and I have been going back and forth on this all day because I do not want the Rangers to win. But I'm going to go with the Rangers in six games. Um, I think the offense <laughs> is going to be too much. And home field. Well, that, that's my exact prediction too. Um, I was going to say Rangers in six. I think the offense is too is too potent, and my prediction is going to really upset a friend of mine who is connect is you know does some work in the Rangers front office and uh, was upset that was happy at least that I picked the the Rays 
to beat the Rangers in the first round, and then the Rangers won, and he then swore that I should never pick the Rangers to win anything. Um, <laughs> but I'm doing it now, uh, right. so I apologize. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just be... think I think that team is destined to not destined, but I think they're best set up to do it, and I think they spent the money to do it, and I think that they they everything they've done is to get them into this position and to capitalize on it. And I think that they've made the most of it. I continue to, I see them continuing to do that. I don't get mad at me, Diamondbacks fans, because I am rooting for the Diamondbacks, but my head is telling me that it is going to be the Rangers, but it's also baseball and who knows, and I'm just watching be entertained. So that's, that's where I am on this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if I if I didn't have somebody I knew who was connected to one of the teams, I would say whoever wins, it doesn't matter. Like these are two fun teams to watch, um, right. and you know, just like I'm excited to watch good baseball. I certainly hope that you know Texas isn't like out here trouncing like ten to two every game. Yeah, I don't necessarily I don't want see that happen. Let's um, be entertained, please. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it'll be a I think it'll be a competitive series. Even if I'm saying Rangers in six, um, I think that's that some of these are really going to come down to the wire. I don't see them kind of like you know controlling the series start to finish. Right. Uh, all right. So we're going to move on to the mock here in a second. Before we do, it's an interconference clash on Sunday night when DJ Moore and the Bears travel to Southern California to battle Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Get ready for kickoff when coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on NBC and Peacock, Bears, Chargers. Good thing I remi- I'm reminding you that that game is Sunday night on NBC because you might forget. So I'm, I'm here to help you out. Um, you know, not in pretty low ratings for, for Sunday night football. Nobody really watches it. So uh, we're helping these folks out, um, doing, our, doing our duty here. So let's get into the mock draft. Uh, like I said, we... Started this last week, I want to say. I think it was a week ago exactly. A week ago today, yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, a bunch of Roto World writers, a bunch of our friends from around the industry have volunteered to participate. We're we're just about nine rounds in so far. Um, so let's let's discuss the first few rounds. We'll cover more of it next week. We'll bring in another one of our fellow drafters. But uh, Eric, quick takeaways um, from what you've seen through the first five rounds or so. Sure. I think the the first thing that stands out to me is five starting pitchers total in the first three rounds. Um, and this is a 12-team mock, so five starting pitchers in the first 36 picks. Feels light um, compared to years past. I don't have the you know the full data in front of me of like how many starters went in how many rounds um, in like NFBC drafts before, but I know la- this past season it had dialed down a little bit, but in the seasons prior, you were seeing like 10 plus pitchers going off the board in those yeah. first three rounds because you really wanted people to uh people really wanted to kind of lock in their like pocket aces or you know whatever term mm-hmm. you want to use i think you're seeing what we talked about on you know one of the podcasts last week or the week before the uncertainty in the starting pitcher um you know position is leading people to say okay i'll just wait and i'll get from a collection of mush that may wind up getting me an ace right yeah and i I actually took one of the pitchers uh i at the end of the first round i took garrett cole spencer strider went uh right before me uh dave chauvin uh selected strider uh number 11 i took cole number 12. the way i was kind of thinking about this was uh, because i was at the turn at number 12 
if I didn't take one here, you know, I wouldn't be picking for a while after that. Yeah. And, you know, I, there still would be, play, you know, there's plenty of good pitchers here. You know, Kevin Gossman went in the fourth round, Zach Allen, Logan Webb, Pablo Lopez, Blake Snell, you know, still plenty of good pitchers. But uh, Cole is, and we said this when we did the pitcher podcast last week that, you know, I think there's a clear top two. And then, it, and then it's open for debate beyond yeah. that. So uh, I just went safe with Cole. Then I got Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, after that, I wonder, you know, come March 2024, if, you know, Tatis is going to hop right back into the first round in, in most drafts. I'm curious, what do you think about that? I could see that for sure. Um, you know, I, I think that, but I, when I look at the first 12 guys to go, I just think a lot of them are pretty obvious, right? Like Acuna, sure. Julio Rodriguez, Witt, Judge, Betts, Corbin Carroll, Trey Turner, Kyle Tucker, Freddie Freeman. Like, I maybe you could argue that Tatis going 10th and Jose Ramirez not being in the first round makes some sense. Yep. Um, or maybe only one of the pitchers goes in the first round and Tatis moves in. I, I could see that. But, you know, there's not a lot of uh, wiggle room in, in that early grouping for me. Um, I do think, to your point, like being on the corners and taking a starting pitcher makes sense. Um, I had the second pick of the third round, so uh, pick 26. And Zach Wheeler was on the board, and he's my third starter. And I would have felt comfortable taking him there. It is a yeah. mock, so I was I wanted to see if I waited, who comes back at the end of the fourth? What would that situation look like? It was a little bit of like experimentation. I took Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez is my seventh, my number seven starter. I got him as the ninth starter off the board. So this was just me saying like. All right, I have to trust the work that I did. I'm suggesting Pablo Lopez as a top 10 starter. I'm going to take him there. Um, and that allowed me to take Ozzy Albies in the third. Um, and I just recently, on Tuesday, put out an article um, on Roto World, which you can go check out, called the Fantasy Baseball State of the Union. And it was a second base article. So I'm going back through every position looking basically at how many hitters at every position contribute in each of the five major five by five categories. Um, and second base continues to look like the shallowest position with the fewest uh, five category players and the fewest players contributing in more than three categories. So I came into this draft saying, I really need to get one of those top tier second baseman. Um, the top second baseman on the board is Mookie Betts because he played enough innings at second <laughs> base to qualify, which is weirdly like a cheat code. I mean, if you can yes. draft Betts and you can put him at second base, I, I think that's a huge boost for you. But you know, you're looking at Mookie Betts and Simeon and Ozzy Albies. Um, and you know, Altuve, yeah, then to a lesser extent you get Altuve, um, and also then you start to sneak in some guys who are kind of on the fringe. Um, you see the like Cattell Martes, Glaber Torres has some, some five category potential upside. And then young guys like, you know, Matt McLean, um, Haseon Kim, they really popped as like guys who could take that step. Um, but it was just a, such a shallow position that I, I felt like I had to jump in and take something. So from the first three rounds, the pick that really jumped out, I think to pretty much everyone in the room is Ellie De La Cruz. So uh, start of the third round, Bo Bichette, Ozzy Albies, as you said, then it's Ellie De La Cruz. Greg Jewett uh, selected him there ahead of Francisco Lindor, ahead of Gunnar Henderson, ahead of Manny Machado, Royce Lewis, Jose Altuve. 
again, this is a mock draft, so you're allowed to be bold and experiment yeah. a little bit. And I think that's, you know, we're not playing this out. So I think that's part of the part of the reasoning there. But was that a, was that a surprise to you? Um, no, because in the other mock I did, he was also a third round selection. Um, and so yeah. I think that, again, as you pointed out, and Greg very specifically was like, it's a mock. I, I'm, you know, I'm looking for the upside. Um, and I, I fully understand that. I mean, you know, we saw Ellie De La Cruz absolutely flash top three round ability. We just also saw the downside when that inconsistency reared its head. Head. He has another year under his belt, a full off season, all that kind of stuff that could suggest he'll begin. You know, he'll iron out the kinks that major league pitchers exposed, and you know, there's no doubting the upside that he has. I do find it interesting that like Ellie De La Cruz went third in the third round um, and O'Neill Cruz went in the sixth round mm-hmm. because I don't necessarily think that they are so different from one another. Um, I think yeah. maybe we forgot that O'Neill Cruz is also like an exit velocity God and can run and whatever. Sure. Cause he didn't play this year much. Um, I know the hitting environment is, is better in Cincinnati. Um, but I, I feel like those two will kind of like magnets get a little closer as, as draft season goes on, whether that's Cruz rising up or, or uh, sorry, Ellie De La Cruz falling down or O'Neill Cruz rising up. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think I see him kind of in that third, fourth round range because people love to to swing for the fence. Yeah, and you can certainly understand chasing uh, the upside there. I think the consensus may be, starting to build a little bit early. So that's something to watch there. Royce yeah. Lewis going in the fourth round to Dave Chauvin. Uh, you know, the postseason performance that he had, I, I think that's that's fresh in our minds. When healthy, he was very good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, let me, uh, so I took Manny Machado right before Royce Lewis was selected. I, I think that's a pretty fascinating dynamic there. Of course, uh, Machado just had surgery. Um, there's a little bit of, question of when if you know will he be at you know a full go come spring training i guess we'll see you know i think machado's a guy where you could see the adp shift a little bit depending on, on his readiness but i felt fourth round for machado made some sense obviously he has the track record more proven performer do i think Royce lewis can be the better fantasy player next year i think he can yeah i, I think so too i mean i i wrote up um round four for us again we're, we're going through each of the top 10 rounds we'll do a written breakdown um over on roto world so you should go check that out um you know dj and i are, are tweeting it out whenever we have the updates but again it's on the roto world fantasy baseball page um i wrote about round four and royce lewis was one of the picks i talked about um i think that you know his prospect pedigree wore off a little bit because of the injuries and people were kind of just like either forgot about him or just didn't trust it anymore. But listen, he hit 309 with 15 home runs, 52 RBIs and six steals in 58 games this year. Like that's stupid. Um, The issue is he played 58 games this year, uh, including 14 in the minor league. So he played 72 games. Um, and this is a guy who continues to battle injuries. He battled injuries again this year. And so at some point, like you want to say, okay, he should be able to get healthy. You know, again, these, some of these injuries have been like, you know, like the ACL injury when he was making a catch in center field. Like these are not, um, oh, this is a guy with a chronic Anthony Rizzo back injury, right? This is a young guy who's getting hurt in various ways playing the game, but he's now he's be 25 next year. We haven't seen a full season. 
Um, so I get that risk. But if you're looking at his production over like 162 game pace, which obviously is dangerous to do, but just is indicative of some of potential, and you could guarantee 130 games, I, I don't know that he lasts till the fourth round. So yeah. it, it really is just that like Machado is the safer pick. You you kind of know what you're getting. Royce Lewis is the upside pick. Uh, you know, you're swinging for the fences a little bit more. And, and so I, I understand that dynamic there. And I also thought, um, you know, it was really interesting. Nolan Jones went in the fourth round. Yeah. Um, another guy who was a big time prospect who that prospect pedigree wore off in public perception because he didn't really get into the lineup for Cleveland. And then they traded him to Colorado. And at the beginning of the year, it looked like he wasn't going to get into the lineup for Colorado because they hate playing young players. Um, <laughs> and then and then he did. And I just don't like I wrote in the blurb that I think it was the quietest 2020 season with a near 300 batting average you've seen ever. Like I agree totally. He hit 297 2020 in 106 games, you know, with a 389 OBP. So like, yeah, he was striking out almost 30% of the time, but he was also getting on base a lot. Um, Well, another thing about Jones, by the way, you know, we worry about, oh, it's Coors Field, elevated, whatever. You know, Rocky Sitters can't hit on the road. He had a higher OPS on the road than he did at home this season. But yeah. Not by much, but, I mean, even then it's close is encouraging. Whether right. that can continue, because we need to know there's, there's that layoff like um, or like hangover effect when they leave the high altitude, um, they start a series on the road. That That, that is, I think, a thing. But that he did sure. that uh, away from Coors, I think, is, is encouraging. It is. And you, I mean, in the early rounds, you want five category contributors because they don't last. You don't, you don't get a five category hitter in the eighth round, ninth round. Like they're they're not there. This is a guy who like, he also played 40 games in the minors this year. So if you were to give him a full season of 140 games, he's probably a 25, 25 guy who has proven he can hit 270 or better. Um, so if, if you're penciling in him at like 275, 280 batting average with, you know, 25, 25, and then the runs and RBIs will depend on if they do anything with their with their lineup this offseason, like th- there's not really a lot of holes in that for him to be one of the final picks of the fourth round. Like I know the name might surprise people, but I think it totally makes sense to me. I, I wouldn't bank on the batting average just because of the strikeouts and <clears throat> um, batting over John Balls and play like he's a speedy player, so it's going to be higher. Um, but it was it was really high. I can't remember the number yeah. off the top well, of my head, but it was, it was yeah, I it was a four hundred one BABIP this year. So go. I think that you know I don't necessarily see him getting back up to two ninety seven, but I think something in the two seventies would bake in some of that regression and still give him a certainly you know usable average to go along with all the other stuff that he's contributing. Another player who he'll be twenty six next year, so we also don't know what type of you know, growth he'll have. It's not like he's a finished product either. So Mike Trout going in the fourth round, I think that's just a world we have to get used to. We know the upside of Mike Trout. Uh, We also are very well acquainted with the downside at this point, as far as the amount of games he's going to play. Most likely, I don't really see it getting like, hey, he played 160 games this year. Like, I I just, I don't really see that happening, which is a really sad, uh, (laughs) sad thing to say. Uh, Fifth round. Pretty much all pitchers, uh, you know, yeah. early on we we're talking, you know, that the position players dominated the board. But by the fifth round, I think everyone was like, all right, 
it's time to either get my number one or get my number two like, or get a closer. It's pretty much was all pitchers. Yeah, actually, it was 17 of the 24 picks in the fifth and sixth round were pitchers, yeah. um, which, as you pointed out, is a natural side effect of them not going in the top three rounds, but is is a world that you need to prepare for when you're doing drafts is like if they're not going early, they're going to go in the middle and you need to understand where your position is in the kind of like fifth, sixth, seventh round and see if you can try to jump some of these runs. I wound up with the second pick of the fifth round, taking the first closer off the board. Um, and it was Josh Hader. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but I just think it's interesting. Like we are coming off a year where like, you know, Edwin Diaz and Liam Hendricks and Hader, those guys were sometimes going in the top three rounds because yeah, people wanted yeah. to lock in the security at closer. Now, the Diaz and Hendricks' situation, I think, is a little bit fluky in the sense of like Hendricks obviously battled cancer and then, you know, got hurt in, you know, coming back. I don't necessarily think that that is indicative of like risk in closers. We all know about the Edwin Diaz injury and have talked about <clears throat> it repeatedly nonstop. Um, so I still feel like maybe you'll start to see closers push up the board a little bit more um, as we get closer to these drafts. I took Hader because um, for me, it's Hader or Edwin Diaz. I know some people have Devin Williams ranked first. I'm a little concerned with the chatter that the Brandon Woodruff injury is going to cause the Brewers to trade Corbin Burns, who's in the final year of his contract and looking unlikely to resign, and that the Brewers go for some sort of rebuild. I don't really want to draft the closer of a rebuilding team with as the number one closer. Um, I just think it adds a lot of risk. And Hayter, you know, we don't know where he's going to end up, but he's going to close wherever he ends up. And he's been yeah. very good for a very long time. So for me, that felt like a touch more secure than, than Williams and Diaz. All three of those guys went in the fifth round. And then mm -hmm. Emmanuel Classe, um, to you okay. as the yeah. last pick of the fourth round, uh, sorry, the fifth round. So that those are the four relievers off the board first. Uh, they all went in the fifth. And then the sixth round, we saw Alexis Diaz, David Bednar, and Camilo Doval go off the board. Um, so those were the top six relievers in our draft, all drafted in the fifth or sixth round. And I think there's a pretty solid top 10 closers uh that you could feel pretty good about even if you didn't get one of these top guys i think going into last year there was a little bit more uncertainty um you know outside of the top 10 there was like oh is you know muñoz gonna close or whatever uh but this year it's i, I feel like going into next year and joan duran kind of similar and he went in the the seventh round but i think this year is gonna be a little bit more clear as far as like i would say maybe the top 15 closers we're gonna know who they're gonna be uh, come yeah. March next year. I, I would agree with that. Obviously, we'll see what happens in the offseason, but that that makes total sense to me. Yohan um, Duran, who went to Greg Jewett um, at the beginning of the seventh round, uh, just something to keep in mind because obviously that's what Greg covers and does. And then uh, Rizal Iglesias went to Dave Chauvin at the end of the seventh round. Dave, who took the strategy of uh, he went back-to-back closers yeah. so through seven yeah. rounds he had two starters and two closers so he kind of zigged when a lot of the other people were zagging and um tried to load up on on pitching and got Tarek skubal which i was yeah. i was upset about because i wanted Tarek skubal but. yeah skubal who went um at the end of the the fifth round the second to last pick of the fifth round in case people um are curious of where that landed um two picks after tower glass now 
Uh, this is where it gets interesting now. Uh, I, I'm kind of fascinated to see how these later rounds are going to play out. And um, by the time we do the show next week, hopefully we'll maybe be into the 10th round. Uh, we will see. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. But no, hopefully we'll be pretty deep into it. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how these rosters get filled out. I, this is the part yeah. that I think is the most fun uh, yeah. as, as we move along here. I will say what's interesting to me is the the way people are drafting or not drafting speed. Um, we're almost through nine rounds, and I see only one player drafted primarily for, I guess, two players drafted primarily for speed. Um, they actually went to the same team, Nick Mariano of Rotoballer, who took CJ Abrams in the fourth and then Nico Horner in the seventh. Um his first two picks were Aaron Judge and Luis Robert, so it makes sense when you're loading when you got like power at the top, you want to you know yeah. get your speed in the middle. Um, but you know, for years we've seen kind of like speed centric players get pushed up um, because people really want stolen bases, um, and we have, we're not seeing that right now. Um, you know, C.J. Abrams is another guy where he's so young that it's not necessarily just speed that he's being taken. The speed is certainly there, but if he's hitting lead off for the nationals and he continues to get better, like there's, there's upside. And then Nico Horner, I think to me is primarily a batting average and, and speed pick um, yeah. in the seventh round, but like he's a 40 plus stolen base guy. Um, right. So that makes total sense. We're almost at the end of the ninth round. Uh, we have not seen, I'm like checking the board just to confirm, but yeah, like we have not seen Cedric Mullins. Um, who I feel like his stolen base totals pushed him up into the early rounds when people were like, oh, he'll give me chip in home runs, but I'm going to get 30 steals from Cedric Mullins. Um, you know, no, Ruiz. <laughs> yeah, he was another one. Like, I didn't want to I didn't want to talk over the table in the middle of the draft. But like, <laughs> we're almost doing nine rounds and we don't have the MLB stolen base leader yeah. because, well, I guess, sorry, that'd be Acuna. But, um, you know, the guy who looked like he was tracking to be the stolen mm-hmm. base leader. And pure just speed only. Um, and so I think as people are starting to realize that like when you go and you get a Corbin Carroll, uh, a, an Acuna, a Bobby Witt, like Trey Turner, like you're getting good stolen bases from a lot of these guys early now that you don't have to reach for those yeah. other players. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that that's an interesting dynamic and, you know, something we talked about earlier, but is like really shifting the way that we're approaching the, the draft. Yeah. So this is a, this is a fun experiment. We'll keep it going here over the next week. Uh, we'll bring one of our fellow drafters into the show next week to, uh, see how the rest of the draft, uh, shakes out. And again, go to rotoworld.com and you can get the full written breakdown analysis of the draft as we move along. Uh, good stuff, Eric. Uh, enjoy the World Series. See you back here you. next week. Remember to subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. You can actually find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. The NBA season is underway, so be sure to listen to the Roto World Basketball Show. Uh, back in your rotation, Vaughn, Raphael, and Dan Titus uh, providing great analysis weekly to set you up for fantasy success this season follow us on twitter or x if you don't already eric is at samsky nyc i'm at dj short take care everyone and we will see you next time enjoy the world series